Welcome to I'm Absolutely Fine, the podcast from the mid-alt that looks at all the glamour and indignity of being a grown-up. If you listen on the Entail app, that's E-N-T-A-L-E, photos, links and videos of what we're talking about will pop up as you listen. Have a look. Hi. Hi, everybody. How are you, Em? Well, Annabelle, I am absolutely fine, but I am in slight recovery. I had an apocalyptically shit day yesterday. It was like when Mercury goes into retrograde, but just it was all like I had a storm cloud over my head and I just, everything I touched went to shit. So the printer broke, um, the pancakes were sort of inedible. Um, I fell out with everybody I spoke to. Um, I couldn't write. I couldn't do any, it was just like... I went to bed so defeated, like so defeated, that um, I thought I, I, I was actually so dreading waking up and having to start it off again. So yeah, that's me. <sighs> and I think that's happening. I spoke to someone yesterday who said that they basically have good days on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday's bad, and then Friday, Saturday's okay, and then Sunday's bad again. And I think people are tracking their days like that, like generally you know, Thursday's okay. I mean, it's sort of got to that where we're so kind of like focused on what's going on. Anyway, how are you, my love? I'm absolutely fine. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Jesus. But I hit a sort of phase about three days ago where I thought the anxiety sort of seeped away and I started to feel quite settled, started to enjoy the slowness, started to think this is all kind of beautiful I can you know just not run around like a maniac I can just relax into this and then of course it almost immediately tipped because I guess it happened around the the feeling of being past the halfway point of lockdown potentially so it almost immediately tipped into a kind of terror about what happens next and suddenly rather than being frightened about being locked in I'm really scared about being released and I'm very uncomfortable and very uneasy when I try to imagine what going back to my life looks like. You know, what life? Uh, and who am I? Who am I? What have I got to offer? And exactly what is what on earth is going to be there? I was slightly thinking, you know, a, a few days ago, I was thinking, okay, world, just call me when you need me. And now I feel like it's going to make huge demands or not enough demands and uh, and I feel genuinely frightened about it actually very frightened um I've got I've got a sort of lockdown Stockholm syndrome where actually I feel like I just want to stay in a tiny huddle yeah you've got Lockholm syndrome I reckon that's absolutely I'm sure so many people listening will identify with it also because just our skills are sort of slipping away our, our out in the world skills I mean I bumped into someone in the park obviously two meters away and we had this really odd conversation where basically none of us knew how to talk because you can't sort of go immediately mm. into the mat and it was like it was like a sort of it was it was awful stilted awkward we obviously both then sort of left each other feeling incredibly weird about it and I just think oh my god mm. is are we all going to be sitting on the tube all looking at each other in offices, looking at each other in prep, looking at each other. You know, it's going to be very odd. That kind yeah. of that. Uh, it's going that, to be exposing. It's going to be frightening. And I'm more focused on that than I am about the sort of relief that I might feel about being able to sit in a garden with a martini and a few people that I love. Um, yeah. And I was desperate for that until very recently. And now I just, I just don't know what's going to feel okay. No, I know. And uh, I know the idea of the idea of having like a dinner party, right? 
<laughs> just like being able well, to exactly. chat. I know. Um, Emily and I were talking about this and we, we went back to our book because we thought we'd, we in our book we had looked at all the different dinner parties that we've been to over the many, many years, because we're now very old and seasoned and worldly and, you know, knackered. And, um, and they were all seasoned. I love seasoned. seasoned. Um, and that, yes, yes, salty. Salty sea dogs. Sometimes a bit spicy. Speak for yourself. <laughs> I've never been less spicy, I have to say. Emily said, should we talk about sex on the podcast today? I said, right now, I feel that sex is disgusting. That's how I'm feeling this morning. So please, can we not talk about sex today? Please, can we talk about dinner parties? Um, because that I think I can handle. Um, and, yeah, let's not um, talk about sex, baby. And um, dinner parties go. When did we? When did they really start? University? Yeah, there was there was always that um, that sort of first university dinner party with people where you basically had pasta with pesto from a jar and a bag of salad. And uh, and it was like, ooh, are yes, we because, sophisticated? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it was like, if anyone spent more than like, you know, three ninety nine a bottle of wine, they were showing off. Oh yeah, it was like, who even are you? Because that was and just that. You know, the wine, with the wine was to line your stomach before you went to the pub and ha- and had and started on the <laughs> snake bite in black. Do you remember? Filthy. So filthy. And then obviously back to the flat. I know we're not going to talk about sex, but terrible sex on the kitchen table. Yes, because, because you were meant somehow to. Somehow you thought that that was kind of cool and yeah, wild. Yeah, yeah exactly. It was always, what like are we going to do? People. Have sex on the kitchen table? <laughs> oh, my God. And, there were, and also, I remember, I'll tell you what I remember about those kitchen tables. Splinters. Yeah. <laughs> also, flatmates walking in. Oh, Christ. And then that was the end of the whole, hey, look, come <laughs> Let's all have a sophisticated supper, kitchen supper together. Anyway, that well, was I remember, that. you know, in moving into my twenties, when you know that, that you'd be invited to a sort of to an actual dinner party that was a dinner party, as culturally we were starting to understand it, and probably by someone a little bit older, in, in definitely in a nicer house, in a nicer area, um, and, and you'd and you'd get there, and you were sort of like you had three, you had assistant to assistant to assistant after your job title, you were, you were still kind of incredibly lowly, and somehow they were all you know, these sort of independent creators, they might have been a composer, they might have been an artist, I, I don't know, but it was this room where it would slightly overwhelm you. And so you would, you know, I remember one where I just drank and drank and drank and it was red wine and then I was just sick everywhere. <laughs> and they had to call me a cab. They had to call me a cab. And now I live quite near that house. And, uh, and, and, I, and, I, and I can't, I still won't, I still can't drive down the street. Oh God, what, without a sort of, wave of mortification hitting you oh yeah i can't believe i even yeah yeah i I also do you remember all those parties the dinner parties that again started off as sort of smart little like a sort of way of being a little bit more sophisticated and you know you did your well i did my signature chicken mozzarella parma ham thing which with mashed potato and do you remember tender stem broccoli when it was like what even is that it's not broccoli it's tender stem and then um and then it turns into a massive rave um and two days later you know you're still up and buying magic mushrooms from portobello market those were the days do you know what i still like a sort of like dress down, you know, Friday night, six people around the kitchen table, where it turns a bit dark. I, that's my <laughs> that's my favorite thing. No, I can't be up for two days because I I I I'd then obviously be dead. But I do like it when it turns into a disco. It's really interesting actually because I went to a dinner party at yours before lockdown, and I actually stayed till eleven thirty, which for me was like. 
uh, is like basically four in the morning for everyone else. Well, considering you don't drink. Exactly, watching everything. It was really fun, actually. Do you remember um, dinner parties where there was no food? <laughs> I quite like those as well. So, so come, they would say. Come, they'd say. What about eight, eight for 8.30? They'd say. It was all sounding marvellous. They'd say, bring a bottle. You know, bring a, bring a bottle. You get there and then there are probably some sort of like quite, quite posh crisps on the table. And, but by nine o'clock, you've noticed and you, you're looking around, you've noticed two things. You've noticed that there is no cooking going on. There's no sense of preparation. No one else seems to have noticed or be bothered. And there, everybody is talking and talking. Wow, they, these, guys can, these guys can talk. What do I miss? They, they, oh, oh, OK. This, this isn't a dinner party. It's not uh, a dinner party. Dinner, yeah, it's not a dinner party. I just behaved so badly at dinner parties. I remember being invited to a really posh one um, with like proper cutlery and napkins and three courses. And I was just... I remember sitting there just thinking, please behave, please. I know, because you're such a people pleaser. People pleaser. You would have been like, please get this right. Please let me get this right. Please Please let me not fuck this up. Please let this not be. And then actually getting so drunk that I kissed a guy that I really didn't fancy in a room where all the coats were. And I promise you, years later, I bumped into this guy and he goes, oh, I remember you. You were at that dinner party where I kissed the really drunk girl in the room with all the coats. And I was like, yes. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, nowadays you'd whack a lawsuit on him, wouldn't you? I tell you, the sort of dinner party that I never liked and I still don't really like are dinner parties with foodies. Oh. Because they always say, oh, they say, sorry, we're foodies. And it's sort of like a, a humble brag, fake apology. And then they offer you, like, I don't know, some sort of Codsrow monstrosity. It's just not good with things with weird textures. And they just say, oh, we're just hopeless foodies. And then, and then I, went to one not, I went to one not so long ago and they, they, they spooned out some sort of, I mean, horrifying fermented soybean. I can't tell you the smell. On top of beef that was blue, beef that was oh. still mooing and, and terrifying looking mushrooms covered in, I don't know, foam? Something squirted something on it. Many, many, many different wines, a wine for each course. And also... You know, a sort of droplet of wine, invisible to the naked eye. So it doesn't take away the horror of the kind of foodie situation. You're, you become very confused. Terrible foodies, they're squawking. Terrible. And then they've made homemade baklava or something. And then they, everything sort of tastes a bit of soap and a bit of, I don't know, earth. And anyway, you, 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 get a, you go home and have a bowl of, you know, crunchy nut with no milk because you're starving and, you know, miserable. And actually, Which is what I would like, actually, to serve at a at a dinner party generally but obviously can't one there was one new year where I cooked something completely delicious and then I then someone who brought a pudding and that was all anyone talked about and I'm still not over it actually uh, he was a chef but I'm like totally fuck the lot of them anyone who was there you know what that's like I remember years ago going to stay with people and everybody got really fucked and went to bed at sort of four in the morning and I was up at six deranged hypervigilant as I am washing up washing up surfaces surfaces washing up hoovering the whole nine yards and then went to have a shower at about eight and re-emerged to find some bitch sort of rinsing the, the one spoon or maybe a spoon she used to stir her coffee and the the, the, the hostess walked in and said oh thank you so much for doing all the clearing up to no. the other p- I've never recovered. I'm not surprised. Asshole. Because you can't at that point say, no, 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 no. No, it was me. I've been here for, you know, about an hour and 45 minutes, uh, you know, and just, you know, scraping up all the, all, all the distritus, all the, all, all the, you can't, you can't do that. You have to go, well, you have to, you know, get in your car and leave and never come back probably. I tell you something terrifying was that I went to a dinner party and it was, 
wasn't in England, actually. And I knew it was going to be... I knew that these people were power players. I knew that they were scary. I knew it was sort of out of my league. And I knew I probably wouldn't like it or them particularly. But it was the sort of thing where you have to say yes. So I said yes. And um, uh, and, and, the, and, and my, my fears were confirmed on the morning of the thing when I got um, a, a text from the hostess telling me who everyone was that was going what they did for a living, what books they had published. And, 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 and before the food was served, she stood up. Oh, my God. And she did the going round the table thing. Sometimes it's quite innocent. It's a birthday. It's usually Americans who do this. And they'll go around the table and say, let's all say something beautiful that we love about the birthday girl. That's bad enough. But this was going round the table, not pre-warned, to ask everyone to state their top-line agenda for sustainable business. And... If they had to mix the sort of corporate, you know, with the sort of spiritual. And then, uh, and then after pudding, they fucking went round again, asking everyone to say what they were grateful for. No. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I just experienced an appalling paranoid episode, frankly. <laughs> oh, God. I got, honestly, that would be another one where I'd be sitting there going, please behave, please behave, please behave, and end up, I don't know, doing something terrible. There's something very weird about dinner parties sometimes when it's all going swimmingly and you're sitting opposite your boyfriend and he's just asked for the pepper and suddenly you feel that repulsed heat traveling over your body and you feel like your stomach is going and you look in the you go to the bathroom and you look in the mirror and you know it is just not going to work out <laughs> god yeah yeah it's called um, you know that you're yeah, done it's called we call it la repulsion yeah exactly la repulsion and you don't say anything for another three years, but still. It's, it, I mean, it's, it's actually, it's, it, it's baffling how long you and I both stayed with people whilst being afflicted with La Repulsion. You just sort of, yeah. oh dear, I'm not sure I could Ugh. do that again. No. Um, yeah, I mean, dinner parties with boyfriends. God, you know what? Every time, even, even having this chat with you, every time I, I, I say the phrase dinner party, I'm not sure I can say that ever again in real life. <laughs> I, I don't think I can. It's just, supper parties obviously worse. Kitchen supper's the absolute like, pits kill us now yeah kill us now yeah, yeah, yeah. but but dinner pa- dinner party i mean who the fuck am i but i remember one kind of mortifying dinner party situation is when there's a setup oh god and um and and uh maybe you don't know but everybody in the fucking room knows and so you get there and you immediately know from looking around the room the atmosphere that this has been badly badly misjudged but also of course <laughs> when you're set up you have to pretend to be grateful because you are grateful because someone's thought of you, you know. But, you know, he's wearing a fleece. And, <laughs> and it's, it's, you know, <laughs> and, and he's using unfortunate phrases that offend you. And um, it, it's a, it, it becomes a very trying evening for both of you and you endure it. And then you, you sort of bump into each other somewhere a few weeks later and, and in, in no way do you say hello. In no way do you acknowledge that evening ever happened. Do you know the other thing about dinner parties, and again, I agree, let's just not call them anything, um, about these kind of situations is, is you really see the whites or reds of people's eyes. So, for example, when you've got a couple of new friends and it's a Tuesday and you're hoping that they turn up at 7.30 and they weave in at 8.55 because they, you know, popped into the pub for a quickie. And uh, they bring like four bottles of wine. I love it when like, people. I love it when people walk in. What? You know they're not fucking about because like <laughs> you, my favorite thing is like lots of bottles of wine. Fine. My favorite thing is when people arrive with the ingredients for martinis, and you're like, okay, <laughs> this is only going to go one way. <laughs> That's very anyway. At, at one in the morning, you're like, oh, okay. So um, I'm going to call you a cab now. 
and uh, they're you know they're basically turning blue and rootling through your cupboards looking for what what are they looking for? Well, probably lighter fluid or some sort of cleaning product. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, when it gets bad, it gets bad, right? I know. At this point, we drink bleach. Anyway. Oh, God. Yeah. And then and then and you're sitting there going, it's one in the morning and I, I've got enough time to sleep. Like, what's going to happen? Oh, yeah. So you and, start doing um, math. And they seem completely oblivious yeah. to the fact that yeah. you start yeah. doing math. You start doing math. It's funny, isn't it? How how you might have been very bad at maths at school. And they all said, oh, it's not that you were actually bad at maths. It's just that you think you're bad at maths, which was silly and never made sense. But I mean, I was bad at maths at school. But suddenly, as I grew up, I developed a sort of striking and odd aptitude for mental arithmetic you know and it became a kind of boffin with certain strains <laughs> of math the instinct of you the kind of the kind of equations that relate directly to the mysteries of the middle universe death maths yeah but do you think do you do you know i think that lockdown has also in, has also heightened our math senses because we're just obsessed with graphs of recovery time of new infections of like it's amazing suddenly you can handle or you can hold all this stuff in your head it's so extraordinary but obviously yes death math well we're also kind of calculating and recalibrating and that stuff all the time because everything's changing and we're all you know we're just so confused but death math is always looming large it's looming particularly yeah. large at the moment but you know those dark sums the balancing of the mortality figures, you know. So so it means that, and you know, so they're constantly recalibrated according to, you know, aches and pains and, you know, and, and now, of course, coughs. Um, you know, have I got a fever? When did I last have a smear test? Why is this headache so bad? Um, you know, I, you know, I, I've just I've just smoked a load of fags. You know, how well, you know, am I, am I more than halfway through? Quite probably. Um, and more than halfway through is the big question that we, you know, chuck towards the big balance sheet in the sky right not helped by the way by how much sort of solo drinking i'm doing at the moment <laughs> oh do my you God. remember alcohol maths <laughs> i do i do remember alcohol maths still 13 years on yeah because a, a rookie mistake is to um not include the little sharpener you have when you're getting ready <laughs> yeah because if you don't include that that sort of nerve steadier in the evening's full mathematical reckoning it will probably be the drink that tips the whole equation into something <laughs> that becomes entirely non-computable, right? Yeah, totally. Because, because the, 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 the alcohol formula, and I've thought about this, can only hold true if the number of units of alcohol is equal to the number of waters, which it, it never is. And, and, and if all those units become crossbred, then there will be extreme malfunction. And if you introduce cigarettes, then the figures will not add up in any way. You are so wise, Mrs. Einstein. Well, just maybe just a potential alcoholic. <laughs> yeah. I tell you, my uh, my caffeine maths uh, is uh, is seriously out of control because that you have to get the exact again equilibrium between corpse and fiend. So you've got to have a comprehensive understanding of your individual reaction to caffeine at all times of the day, with or without any other sustenance. So four teas in a row plus possibly a single shot of coffee, although I'm trying, I, I tend to steer clear of coffee, might give you a dynamically productive morning or people will be hiding, operating like scorched earth, basically. I specialise in four coffees and no breakfast, um, which, um, which is, 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 is a way to poison yourself and, and those around you. But Emily, full disclosure, <laughs> I mean, she's, you know, she's, she's, uh, she's, 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 it's game talk, but she's, you're not allowed coffee, are you, Em? 
<laughs> no, you banned me from coffee about a hundred years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think what what happened? We went into a meeting, and I was like, I I remember drinking a coffee like a double shot, whatever, and going into the meeting and thinking I'd been dynamic and brilliant and and uh, and totally kind of you know um, full of vim. And you took me aside afterwards and went, maybe no coffee next time. <laughs> <laughs> It's awful when you think you're being brilliant and you realise everybody's looking at you and they look scared. Basically, yeah. But I mean, that's, 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 it's, it's like when you, when you, when you drink too much and you think you're being hilarious. I mean, it's all of that. Oh it's my that God. sort of, it's the other problem with drinking as much tea as I do is I need to pee all the time. And then that is basically a calculation that I make constantly. I'm almost basically, do I even wait for the kettle to boil before I quickly have my pee or do I come back? And you know, but yeah, but the, but the, but the thing about you is, it's entirely possible you might need to pee both before and after the kettle is boiled. <laughs> but because you don't pee in the night, it's nerves. It's not bladder capacity. Yeah, no, exactly. I've got. I'm. It's it's emotional peeing. You know, especially when I'm. I get more panicky about peeing when I'm wearing jumpsuits, obviously, and whether the jumpsuit unzits at the back or the front, mm. obviously. And then you have to work out the time spent undoing the jumpsuit, how much you need, how far it is to the bathroom is there going to be a disaster also the cutoff fluid for for cutoff point for fluids at night is obviously a thing as well but that's not quite so bad for me because i don't wake up in the night to pee which makes you i think quite unusual but i do wake up to have nervous breakdowns <laughs> <laughs> okay you're allowed back into the room then <laughs> Well, yeah, it, the thing is, is that the P maths um, it, it operates in a Venn diagram with sleep maths. So you're thinking, right, OK, so it's 9.30. I'm going to be in bed by 10.30, um, which means I might uh, unlikely make it through till five. Um, you know, you know, but, but then if I if I if I watch another um, two episodes of Normal People, then that'll take me to 11. I might have tipped out of tired into deranged. So, you know, I could be asleep <laughs> at 11.20, I could be asleep at 12.30. So, you know, um, you, you, it's a crazy world of sleep maths. I mean, forget the mysteries of the universe. Sleep maths is a constant calculation ticking through my brain. You know, it, you know, we should put, I don't know, Brian Cox on it and see if he can do something squiggly to time to work. Is it linear? Is it quantum? And I'm too tired to fucking care most of the time. But, oh, you know, and then when, if you chat jet lagging, which obviously isn't going to happen, sadly or happily, for the next million years, <laughs> then that really, that really, really messed with the equations. But I mean, listen, no one's sleeping at the moment, are they? No, what the fuck? It's like sleep is so, it's sort of, it's like a sort of elusive idea now. I know, and I read in one of the more unhelpful tabloids this morning, of course, they must know that no one's sleeping, that sleep is is vital in our battle against coronavirus. Basically, we're all going to get it very, very severely unless we sleep. That's going to help us sleep. Oh, it's like those Silicon Valley giants who decided that sleep was basically the most important sort of thing that you can do and they threw, they're throwing all their money at everyone getting sleep. And it's like, well, well, create things that don't keep us awake, like the internet and, you know, Instagram. Well, fam- <laughs> well isn't it, wasn't it famously Steve Jobs who wouldn't let his kids be on screen? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know. It's like, well, I hope they're sleeping those jobs kids anyway but when i think back to all the you know i'm i mean my sleep at the moment is sort of always a bit weird but when i think back to when it's been really catastrophically appalling and all the sleep cures that you know that i tried when i was like not just tired but big tired 
um you know and the and the stuff i mean there was a point where where, where i'd try anything so, I, I mean i fast i i fast reach a point where i wouldn't try anything because i'd give up but <laughs> You know, in those early, early days, in those early, you know, halcyon days of early insomniac life. Yes, when you think that things might actually help. You think that nighttime yoga might be a good <laughs> thing to do. You know, in itself, that was an act of desperation because I'd been swerving namaste for fucking decades. But there is quite a sort of relatively non-annoying YouTuber called Adrienne. She's from Austin, Texas. She's getting quite a lot of press at the moment. She's quite good. And her classes are free and not intolerable. So wholeheartedly, you know, I, I, you know, I, I, I tried one every night for a week, you know, fell asleep at 11pm out like a light until 2 <laughs> And that was that. That was that. See you later, Adrian. Oh, it's like when people say lavender and you just say, fuck, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, but you know, have you tried lavender spray? Oh my God. Oh my God. Annabelle, do you remember when you uh, went to the Continental Sleep Clinic? That was really bad. I was at a really low ebb. I went to, um, I went in good faith off to this, I think it was, was it Portugal? I think it was Portugal. To this, this place that had advertised itself as a, as a, as a curative sleep clinic. So I went and I remember the first time I got there, and I didn't take any of my sort of tools with me. I didn't, I didn't take earplugs, didn't take an eye mask, didn't take, you know, I take Advil PM that I get from America, didn't take melatonin, didn't take Benlin. That's a nasty, cheap little trick. Didn't take any of that. I just went, I thought this is going to be great. And they slid a tablet under my mattress to measure my REM. And it showed the next morning that I had slept for one hour and 57 minutes. So I went, I went to have my consultation, expecting to be soothed and reassured. And this doctor basically barked at me. And she, just, she just said, you're going to have a heart attack. You need medical help. And I was like, but I, I, was, I, I thought that's why I had flown. I'd taken three days out of my life to fly here and to pay for this and to do this. And this programme is not for you, they said. So why did I carve out the time? You know, why have I... Anyway, I left early. By the time I came home, I was, I mean, I was pretty much broken. Yeah, and you, and you didn't sleep. And then we were trying positive mental attitudes. So we were like, hi, Annabelle, who sleeps incredibly well and is such a good sleeper. I'm a brilliant you? sleeper. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I sleep beautifully, fully and completely. The night gives me everything I need. I will never have trouble sleeping again. I have an actual talent when it comes to sleep. Please watch my talent and observe and learn yes, from I am, me. I am, I am gifted <laughs> with regard to sleep. How do you think that went? Uh, yeah, that, wasn't, that, that was not a triumph. My friend's granny had told her that the way to sleep was to have a brandy and a biscuit. Um, and, you know, never one to turn down either. I had a brandy and a biscuit and that drifted off beautifully. And then I had a sort of parched slash sugar low sitting bolt upright moment at 3am and then, and, and, yeah, and spent the rest of the night thinking about death and, you know, sort of fingering my chin hairs. Um, I tried sleep meditations um, and, yes. and I would be like, ooh, is this man's voice sexy or sinister? And then I would be like, have I defrosted the chicken? And then I would be like, clear your mind, clear your mind. And then I would wake up with at sort of 3am with my headphones kind of wrapped around my neck, sort of in a garrote um, and uh, feeling even more stressed, basically. I remember exactly. I remember trying to do like, I don't, maybe it was a Paul McKenna hypnosis or something. And, 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 they, and they said you have to have your headphones in because it has to be in stereo. And you shouldn't really sleep with a wire, with a wire trailing all around, <laughs> should you? I mean... Yeah. Oh, no, and then you've got to have sleep hygiene as well. So you can't have your phone. So it's so it's like a sort of it's like a uh, one of those Greek 
tragedies where you're sort of super close to the answer and yet something keeps coming in your way or some god keeps coming because you're yeah, not yeah. Like- or like being a, it's like being a witch you know if you, if, you, if, if you float we'll burn you and if you sink and drown you drown then, you know exactly sorry so you can't have screens <laughs> no telly no laptop no phone no kindle no ipad no sleep so, I mean, Jesus, take away everything, all my crutches, <laughs> and still leave me well, hanging. Well, speaking of crutches, speaking, speaking of crutches, obviously, you know, one of the things you have to try is cutting out coffee. Because the acupuncture, it says it does evil things to your liver, and the shrink says it makes you agitated, and your friends say it makes you intolerable. and you know. So, you know, you, you think you'll cut out coffee, and, and then you think that you will see and feel the difference because you've eliminated this sleep-sucking demon from your life, and... So your system will realign and everything should be good and you'll sleep the sleep of the caffeine-free virtuous and, and the blessed. And, and I tried it for a week. That just passed me a triple shot because, you know, it made no difference at all. Nothing made any difference at all. Nothing makes a difference. Honestly, we didn't sleep in before lockdown. We can't sleep in lockdown. We're not going to be able to sleep out of lockdown. We're just lurching from one sort of insomniac period to another and they just the manifestations change don't they one minute it's because you you're too you can't sleep because you're too waking up so hot and sweaty other times it's because you're so panicky and you know worried about money or relationships or whatever and then other times it's because you know i don't know who knows you may have accidentally drunk too much wine or had a coffee at you know half past two in the afternoon (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) I know, I know, I know, I know. And it's like, whatever, whatever the question is, the answer is insomnia. Yeah, basically. That's how it feels. God. I know, I know. So here we are, worried about the other side. And, um, but you know, things change. It's a Corona coaster. That's what they say. Oh, I like that. I didn't invent it, but it's quite good. It is good. That's what we're on, the Corona coaster. (gasps) Happy Corona coaster, guys. Thank you for listening. And I think we might have a guest for you next week. Oh. So hold the front page. Technology and. Technology willing and lots of love. Lots and of love. Bye. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Annabelle Rifkin and Emily McMeekin of The Middle. Our book, I'm Absolutely Fine, is out now. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe. And we'll just leave you with this thought maybe she's born with it, or maybe it's caffeine. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.